Christmas Day. It's just an intimate bunch of people here. We are worshiping together. We are glad to be here. And I was thinking this morning, it is not only Christmas Day, but as Christians, every Sunday can be Resurrection Day. The reason early Christians changed their day of worship from the Jewish day of worship uh, on the Sabbath, Friday night and Saturday, to Sunday is because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So it is not only Christmas Day, it is Sunday and it is Resurrection Day. So today, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on this Sunday. So thank you again for being here. Well, I really love um, the lead-up to Christmas, probably as much as I love Christmas itself. I love the food. I eat too much. Christmas cookies. I love the music. I love the carols that we sang this morning. I like the secular Christmas music. Can I say that in church on Sunday morning? Yes, I do. You know, White Christmas. I love Bing Crosby. Nat King Cole might be my favorite. I love Amy Grant's Christmas albums. Um, I like the colors of Christmas. I love that my sons, Luke and Graham, came home from college and they're here. I love all those things about Christmas. But we're not here to talk about all those things this morning. We are here, though, to talk about the Christmas story, the classic Christmas story, which is from Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. So I'm going to read that now. It'll be on the screens as well. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God, and let us pray. O Lord, on this Christmas day, this resurrection day, move in us again to be your people and to hear your word from the scripture, from the gospels. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So I said I love Christmas time. I do. I love especially the lead up to Christmas. Part of that is the most fun for me. I love what it means for us. I love the Christmas story in Matthew, what we read last night on Christmas Eve in John 1, and here in Luke 2. But if I am to be totally honest, and I am, there's a part of Christmas for me that is kind of winsome, kind of a longing that Christmas could be even more than what it is. What if everyone, all of your closest family, family, all of your closest friends were together on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? I am one that moved from what was my home from Texas to Indiana where I married my wife and we, we built our own family. And so, so that means we live far away from other family. And we have other family that live in other states far away as well, and we miss seeing them on Christmas. Sometimes we have loved ones that we were close to that have passed away. They have gone on to be with Jesus. And so as Liz included in the prayer, there's empty chairs at our Christmas tables, maybe on Christmas Eve at dinner or on Christmas Day. And so Christmas is what we have celebrated all during these Sundays of Advent. It is the longing, I believe, for something better, for something greater, for something even more fulfilling than what we have. A little bit of what Pastor Jerry talked about last night. We're looking for that life which has great purpose for us. And so Christmas of God coming down to be Emmanuel, God with us through Jesus, is that something more? And so we wish for this Christmas season also for Jesus in, as Emmanuel to bring us that hope, joy, peace, and love, which is fulfilling. So I have four kids, and they're now young adults, and they had some hopes, some kind of different hopes for Christmas many years ago. They had hopes to get a dog, and my wife Claire and I had, we had held out for a long time because we, really, we didn't really want a dog. We're like, it's like having a fifth child, you know, and, and we kind of knew that. But six years ago today, uh, maybe just a couple of hours earlier than what it is right now, on Christmas Day, we gave in. And she was about five pounds, a little cockapoo puppy, which we named Dixie. And my kids had wanted a puppy for years, and as I said, we held out, but they finally wore us down. And so in December of that year, my wife drove to Ohio where she found where this puppy was. She got the puppy. She got it checked out by a vet. She checked out good and healthy. So she brought her home, and we had this elaborate scheme, most of which I give all credit to my wife. She hid the puppy at her mother's house, and Claire's mom only lives about two or three miles from us, very close. And we told the kids they could not go to Nina's house. That's what we call her cannot go to Nina's house. She's working on a special Christmas project, which made them suspicious. But they were dutiful. They didn't go to Nina's house. She came to our house when she needs to do things. Every once in a while, Claire and I would sneak over to, to the, her house to see the puppy and, and pet the puppy. Until Christmas morning, when Nina brought the puppy over 
and set her in front of the tree. We put a big red bow on her, and she sat there dutifully. She didn't run around until the kids came down, and there was screaming, and there were tears, and they didn't actually believe it. It was like it wasn't possible and wasn't really true, but it was. Uh, it was very fun, and there were even, as I said, even some tears, probably mine as well. Now, I'll tell you, Dixie is, she's still a fun dog. They tell me maybe that I love her even more than they do. We say that she is the gift that keeps on giving. She's a little runt. We do tell her that. She's a little runt. So she's, she's about 11 pounds, and she's very sweet and sometimes very naughty as well. But, but we love her, and she brings some of the hope and joy of Christmas. And because we got her on Christmas morning, we often think of her and thank God for her on Christmas morning. Steve Ebling, who is our guest pastor back on the first Sunday of Advent, talks about hope, hope that is even greater than hoping for a puppy on Christmas. He talked about the hope that one day the one who came, Jesus, to Bethlehem will come back again. That's part of the hope that we have on this Christmas day and during Advent. Steve said that in Revelation, God said that he will dwell with God's people and there will be no more mourning or crying, or pain. Ebling quoted Brennan Manning about hope. He said, Christmas is the promise that the God who came in history and daily comes in mystery will one day come in glory. God is saying that Jesus in the end, with Jesus in the end, everything will be all right. Nothing can harm you permanently. No suffering is irrevocable. No defeat is more than transitory, and no disappointment is conclusive. We have the hope that there is something greater, better, more fulfilling, more meaningful than what even is here now, even on our best days, even on our best Christmas days, the hope that Jesus will one day come again. So in a world longing for something more, in me longing for something more as well, we need the hope of Christmas. So we read the traditional story of Christmas, and that first part is great, that Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, we read there that Caesar is issuing a decree for a census which causes Mary and Joseph traveling back to Joseph's hometown, Bethlehem, to register there and probably to pay taxes, and it's it's the town of David. It's Joseph's hometown. It fulfills prophecy that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Mary gives birth and wraps him in cloths and laid him in a manger. This is the Christmas story. God coming down. God setting aside his glory to identify with us here on earth as a human. Jesus accepted the limitations of being born as an infant to a poor young couple lying in a manger for us. And we are called to accept this greatest of all great gifts with humility and awe, and so we do. Then starting at verse 8 and most of the way through verse 20, we meet the shepherds. And this is the part I think I can uh, relate to a little bit more in the Christmas story it's the fearful parts, perhaps the dirty part, the smelly parts, the not-so-pretty part of Christmas, the shepherds. Shepherds see the angel, it says in verse 9, they are terrified. 
And the angel says, do not be afraid, which often happens uh, when angels show up as people are afraid and the angels say, do not be afraid. They had good reason to be afraid. Sometimes we have good reasons to be afraid as well. Fear is part of life, even in the world now. Perhaps more in the world now because we see the bad things going on around us almost instantaneously through media, social media, through our computers, our phones, through television. Now, shepherds were not only fearful here, they were probably smelly as well. As I did some reading this week about shepherds, it said that they slept out in the fields with their sheep. In ancient Israel, shepherds were generally considered unclean because of their work. They were in daily contact, physical contact, with dirty, smelly sheep, maybe the insects that buzzed around them, and slept in the fields. Shepherds, mostly, for many of them, lived apart from society. They were largely nomads. It was mainly a job of solitary men without children. Yet despite being nomadic, probably sometimes dirty and smelly, perhaps even dangerous at times, a dangerous job, being a shepherd was viewed as important and I think maybe even heroic. Beginning in the Old Testament, we read a lot about shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Genesis 13 describes Abraham as having much livestock, herds and flocks of sheep. Exodus 3 says Moses was a shepherd. It says, meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. David was a shepherd, according to 1 Samuel 17, who took care of his father's flocks as a boy. Abraham, Moses, and David are three pillars of the Old Testament and three pillars of the Jewish faith, and they were all directly connected to shepherding. God is also our shepherd. Perhaps one of the most famous lines in the Old Testament says this, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, verse 1. Jesus is described as a shepherd too in Matthew 2, part of the Christmas story. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people, Israel. Jesus talks a lot about shepherding in the Gospels, and he places himself in the role of the shepherd, calling himself the good shepherd in John 10. The good shepherd shows great concern for his sheep. He provides for them. He guides them. He leads the way. It even talks about he would be like a door. So when shepherds would have their sheep and they would have a sheep pen that was made out of rocks and there would be an opening and the, the shepherd could lay in the gap. If you think about someone standing in the gap or lying in the gap to protect the sheep from, from uh, harm at night, Jesus is truly the good shepherd metaphorically for us as well, guiding, providing, laying down his life for us. And then in Luke 2, the shepherds. They say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Think about that. The shepherds immediately knew that God had revealed this to them through one angel and then a whole company of angels. 
And, and then to realize, for us to realize, that the shepherds are the first people that are told about baby Jesus. They get to see the Christ child. And before any other important people, and another place we read about the Magi, we sang about them this morning in the song, We Three Kings, perhaps wealthy people, perhaps royal people, perhaps nobility, perhaps other religious leaders, they didn't get to see Jesus first. The shepherds got to see Jesus first. So I think that tells us that, and what I like about it, is that we are like the shepherds. I, so if you're not getting it so far, I want us to relate to the shepherds because I often feel like them. I feel like a normal, average, everyday person. And Jesus is a great gift to us for all the people, it says in Luke 2, for all the people. I was reading one author this week, said Jesus is for every people, every tribe, every class, every age, man, woman, every language, every position, every talent or lack of talent, every CEO, every wage earner, Every great person or average person, or those people who even feel below average as well. Every person who is sick and tired, lonely, depressed, near the end of life or just starting out in life. Jesus is for the shepherds living with their sheep in the fields. Jesus is for us too. Jesus truly brings us hope, peace, and joy and love. We also read from Scripture from the prophet Isaiah who points to the coming of the Messiah. And so if you've been around ZBC the last four weeks, you've noticed that each week the Scripture has focused on prophecy from Isaiah, which talks about the coming Messiah. Last Sunday, Pastor Jerry talked about from Isaiah that God is Emmanuel, God with us, that God is there in the midst of uh, at, in the midst of darkness as light, in our victories and defeats, when illness comes, when weddings and birth, births come, God is with us. God with us is better than other things with us which might let us down. God is better than image with us, money with us, vacations with us. And sometimes we can find some happiness in our lives with a great vacation, maybe with a little more money, which helps us to pay our bills or with success. And we can be okay with those things. But true inner joy, a peace that passes understanding, hope that is more than our suffering or pain, or love that comes from others is the love of God and the love of Jesus. I get to uh, officiate a fair amount of weddings. I actually got to officiate two weddings in the month of December, which is a little unusual for me, and they were both a, both a lot of fun. I think now, I think December is a good month for weddings. It's a busy month, but you know, you can kind of wrap Christmas into it, which, is, which I found really cool. But when I do weddings, I typically talk about love. It's a great thing to talk about at weddings, right? And here's one of the most basic truths about Love, it is from 1 John 4, it says this. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world 
that we might live through him. Think about it. Even in 1 John 4, there's the Christmas story again. That's last night, today, Christmas Eve. Last night, that's Christmas Eve. That's today, Christmas Day. God sent his son, his one and only son, into the world that we might live through him and then love through him. So what are we to do about it? Dear friends, John says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We are called to share the love that God gives us at Christmas, not hold it in for ourselves. Today, you might be in the place of shepherds after seeing Jesus ready to tell others, to show love to others. The shepherds go, it says they are amazed and the people are amazed as they hear the shepherds tell the story of Jesus with others and they are glorifying and praising God. You also might feel like a lost sheep, the sheep in the need of a good shepherd. Or you may be fearful like the shepherds were at first. And yet God is here for you too. If you ever feel fear, or a sense of lostness like a lost sheep. Jesus is here for you. God is God with us. God is God with you, especially at Christmas. So back to Luke 2. The angels praised and glorified God. The shepherds praised and glorified God. And now we can praise and glorify God as we did in the songs that we sang. Jesus is truly the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. In verse 20, it says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So the shepherds returned, and where did they return? My guess is they returned to take care of their flocks, because they had left them alone, and they needed to be taken care of. They did something small, something normal, something ordinary, but also something very important. They lived into who they were. They were shepherds, and they went back and returned, glorifying and praising God to take care of their sheep. You know, we might be called as a church or maybe individually as families to do something really big and important, but I think oftentimes, as Pastor Jerry again talked last night, we can do the things that are ordinary. We can see Jesus in the ordinary parts of life, and we can do ordinary things as well for Jesus. I've enjoyed going to uh, Reynosa, Mexico on one-week mission trips off and on for the last 20 years or so. Uh, I haven't been back since before COVID, so I look to go, hope to go back in the near future, taking small or sometimes even some larger groups to do one-week mission trips there. And That sounds like something important, but After we kind of learned how to do a trip, it seemed to me, in some ways, something small, something normal, something ordinary. The church gives us money to build a house. We make flight reservations. We get on the flights. We go down. We do the trip. We meet the people, and we have a great week. Around 2014, we hadn't been able to take groups in a while because of the violence. I don't remember. There was a lot of violence on the borders, and Reynosa is a border town just across uh, the river from McAllen, which is in the news a lot, McAllen, Texas. So we went back in 2014, and we had a day of work, and we sat down to talk to the director, and he told our group, most of whom was uh, for new people that hadn't been there before, 
how the people, how they apply for a house. It's kind of like Habitat for Humanity here in the States. They apply for a house. Someone goes and checks with them to see if they truly need a house, which most of the people do. Oftentimes, they're living in, in terrible conditions, or maybe they're living two or three families, maybe more in one house, and they're crowded. They need a place to stay, a house of their own. And so the people get approved, and then he says, well, you'll be in line to get a house down the way somewhere. It's going to take a while, usually several months. And so he tells the family this, you need to pray that God will provide someone to provide a house for you. So, uh, and then when the time is close by, he says there's a group coming, and he, tell, he said he tells us about us, and they're coming from Indiana, and he said a lot of the people there in Reynosa go, where's Indiana? They don't know. They might know California, they might know New York, you know, they know Texas, obviously, they're close to, where's Indiana? So we get to tell them, you know, kind of where Indiana is. It's in the Midwest. You ever heard of the Indianapolis 500? Some people, maybe not, I don't know. But we show up anyway, we bring money from your giving, from your donations to the church, which goes to the mission budget, which goes to build houses in Mexico. And we're not very good at building, at least I'm not very good. I will say most of our groups we usually take are very good at building, laying concrete block, mixing the cement, but we work alongside the family, we work along other side of the people there in Mexico who are good at building, and we work on their houses all week to get a house. And David tells us, people are amazed when we come. And I said, why are, why are they amazed? And he says, because your group is the answer to prayer that I asked them to pray about like five or six months before. And you showed up and you drive in on a van and you start on Monday morning building a house and they think you are an actual answer to prayer. At the end of the week, they get their house. The house is dedicated. It's not all finished. The ministry comes in with people who are better at construction than us. They put doors on it, windows, electricity, and water with the money that we donate, which your dollars donate as well. And we get to dedicate the house. And again, the, the families usually cry, and I usually cry, and it's, it's wonderful. And David, the director, says, will the people still be in poverty after you provide them with a new house and some groceries and after you go back to Indiana? And he says, yes, they'll still be in poverty. So you won't solve all their problems. He says, but you know what you bring? He says, you bring hope. He says, you bring hope that the people in poverty are not forgotten. That when you come in God's name, it means that God has not forgotten them. That when you show up, it means that God is with them. That God is with us. He's really good at selling that to us. He does a great job, the director there, David. So today on Christmas Day, remember that you have come, you have showed up here to meet Jesus on this day. You have seen Jesus in the gospel story. You've heard about Jesus in the song and in the prayer. And you are like shepherds. Perhaps you feel very normal or average. You can come and meet Jesus and receive hope and love. And perhaps you are like the shepherds who see Jesus and have joy and peace and you want to share that with others. So go and do that this week and this next year. Share all the peace, joy, hope, and love that you can offer, not from yourself, but through Jesus, through the Christ child who is the Messiah, 
who is our Lord and Savior. May we have him in our lives to offer everything that he offers to others. Let us pray. Most loving God, we do give you thanks for the chance to be here on this Christmas day. What a joy it is to be in your house, to sing these songs and be able to sing one more song as praise and honor and in memory and in celebration of your love for us. Help us then as we go out from this place, wherever we're going, to remember your love, your peace, and joy, your hope that you bring us. And then as we have opportunity in the normal, ordinary, everyday parts of life, to share all that love, peace, and joy with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now will you stand with us as we close out this morning? Stay standing as you already are for the benediction. You know, if you looked in the banners, they're not lit so well this morning.